Welcome to the State of the Channel, the podcast for MSPs, and happy holidays to all of you celebrating this season. I'm Rob Ray, Dado's Vice President of Business Development. We bring you new podcasts bi-weekly featuring MSPs like you, as well as Dado experts and industry leaders. Before we jump into our latest episode, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss anything in the future. All right, let's get started. All right. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the State of the Channel, Datto's podcast for MSPs. I am Eric Torres, Director of Channel Development here at Datto, and joining me today is Michael einbinder Schatz, President and CEO of Jobeka Technology Group. I'm excited because today we're going to hear the story about Jobeka Technology Group and how they got started and how the industry has evolved since, since that first day of, of opening the doors and how they've uh, adapted and succeeded, especially in today's crazy COVID world. So welcome to today, today's podcast, and thanks, Michael, for joining me. So, Michael, welcome, and uh, and let's just kick off with a, a quick intro of yourself, who you are, and, uh, and where you're at. Thanks, Eric. It's great to be on. I, I love the opportunity to share information with other MSPs out there, and... Um, Joe Becca, my company, which is by the way named for my kids, Joshua and Rebecca, and I, I just uh, I rabbit hole a lot, so you're just going to have to deal with that, all right? Yeah, let's go, um, let's go. <laughs> um, so you know, I named the company back before my daughter was even born, uh, and we knew that we were having a girl, and uh, we just came up with that name um, because. I wanted some, I was MES Consulting Services at that time, and that was like that's pretty boring stuff. And I talked to some intellectual property attorneys because I did a lot of consulting for law firms. And they're like, you know, pick something that isn't a word. Um, and for all these years that I've been in business, uh, you know, I would talk to my kids about um, if they ever wanted to get involved. Never the slightest bit interested. And now with the pandemic, I guess um, one of the opportunities that arose is that my son, Joshua, who's 26 in a week, actually, I guess he'll be 26 in a week, um, was in the hospitality industry and he was working uh, for one of the top 10 vegan restaurants in the country uh, as a really amazing bartender. Uh, trust me, I know a little about this. So, and, <laughs> you know, one of the things is that I, I think he had enough of that industry with everything shutting down and he's been in good restaurants and not so good restaurants from an operations perspective. And he always thought I wanted him in the business from a technical standpoint. And I think at one point that was the logical entree into the business. And now I'm at a point where, because of the opportunities in front of us, how busy we are, and, and we are like many MSPs quite busy these days, um, that I really needed help on the operations side. And so with his experience, even though it's in a completely different industry, he could really appreciate that. So that's the irony is that now, uh, you know, all these years later, and I have been in business, um, 24 years so uh, all these years later after him never being interested now he's actually joined the business two months ago and we're seeing some major improvements on the operations front 
That's a little shout out for my son there. Nepotism. Nice. Nice. Um, some, some improvements to the upside, and you get to work with uh, your son every day. So that's, uh, that's, that's pretty cool. Enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. And if you hear any barking a couple of days a week, he brings his pretty awesome dog. I guess that would be my grand dog. I don't know. <laughs> um, into the office. And, uh, and she, she's like my favorite dog in the world. Don't tell my dog, but you know. <laughs> I'm I'm a dog guy, so you may hear mine bark. I see him looking out my window right now. So uh, luckily, in in all of this time in COVID, I've only had my dog bark once during a, a broadcast. So uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> you just you totally jinxed that, right? There. I, totally that, right? <laughs> I totally did. <laughs> So let's let's go back to your your early days. You you mentioned um, you started the business even before. Well, it was you said before your daughter was was born. Is was that? So that had to be pretty, I guess, uh, not frightening, but frightening. It, that had to be a little worrisome of starting a business, starting a family at the same time, and. And uh, man, t- tell us about that. You know, was there any hesitation, or or was it just I'm starting my business, I'm focused. Here's what I'm doing. That's a really great question. I um, I totally fell into this business. Um, uh, you know, in the E Myth, Gerber talks about that. You know, are there are you a true entrepreneur? Or did you just have that flash of entrepreneurial spirit? It's sort of like the old. I'm I'm not dating myself. This predates me, but you know, it used to be the old Mickey Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland films that they made in the '40s and '50s, where you know every every movie was like, and we'll put on a show, you know, we'll start a business, and you've got no idea what that means. So, like, I went to film school. I have a film degree from Temple University, and oh, okay. I got a I got a job out of college working at a videotape distributorship buying and selling used movies. I mean, that, that was really, and, and we computerized while I was there. Okay. So I fell into that. And then when I left that, I started working for a law firm and it was like the third largest law firm in Philadelphia. And I was a trainer. So I was training on WordPerfect and proprietary in-house mainframe based systems. And when we got Windows, you know, Windows 3.0, you know, <laughs> dating myself here. But, um, you know, I really fell into it. And I started to burn out a little in the mid 90s. And I got involved in a network marketing company. I kid you not. Um, and um, I thought, this is it. This is I can get out. And um, um, well, that didn't work out. <laughs> so what was interesting was because I was a trainer at the law firm and it eventually moved up and become the network manager, by the way. So I, I kept 900 people connected, which meant that I had, you know, six locations nationwide coming in in the middle of the night all the time, really, really hating it because I'm a people person and I had to find out why these two things wouldn't connect. And when you're in a law firm, everything has to be, you know, it's all billable time. So if you want to fix something, especially back then when things needed to be fixed every single day, right? Uh, particularly like from a hardware level, I had to come in, in the middle of the night. I just hated it. But because I'd been a trainer and with attrition at law firms being just brutal, right? You know, if you're not on the partner track, you're out. I knew people who were hanging their own shingles and joining up with a childhood friend to open a small boutique law firm, you know, let's say an environmental law. And they would call me because I had trained them. 
So I found myself with a pretty ready set audience and started consulting on the side after I had left the law firm. And then the law firm brought me back in as a consultant. That's usually so how I, it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I was like making, <laughs> yeah, making like double the money. And I, but I still didn't like it because, you know, in a law firm, in a business of that size, there's just certain initiatives that could, you're working on something that might take two years or eight months. Sure. And yeah. I was working with three person law firms, solopreneurs, 10 person this, where you could do something in a day and see the difference. And, you know, we all know that's a dopamine hit now, right? But back then, you know, I didn't know what dopamine was. So, <laughs> but you could just feel like the benefit that, hey, this is like freaking awesome. I just helped this small business implement something or fix the problem or whatever it was. Right, and right. And so that's, that's really the origin story. There's no great, you know, I have a plan, you know, let's write up a business plan. Let's get some fun. There's none of that. I just fell into it. And it evolved over the years. Um, sure. Hired my first uh, employee in 99 and slowly and steadily with some pretty significant bumps along the way uh, has uh, grown from there to where we're at now with uh, just brought in our eighth employee this week. So. Oh, nice. Congrats. So is that then since you came from the, the legal field uh is that was that a vertical right off the bat that you focused on um almost exclusively on that initially and then it branched out from referrals but also my second technical hire who's still with me i have three full-time engineers and an outsourced one as well but the three full-time ones have been here like 11 15 and 20 years so for all the mistakes I've been to business, and I'm sure you'll want to dive into those if this is for MSPs, um, <laughs> I, I pride myself on maintaining good relationships and uh, fostering a strong sense of loyalty from some really, really amazingly talented people. But my uh, second hire, who's still here, uh, was a legal assistant at the law firm I worked with. In fact, we were on the same floor in downtown Philadelphia, so I'd gotten to know him, but he was a closet Microsoft beta tester at the same time. That was really his passion. So when his wife had a baby and he took family leave, he realized, I don't want to go back to being a legal assistant. I want to do something with computers. Um, So we had a real legal focus with his experience as a legal assistant and mine as the network manager for a pretty large law firm. Yeah, definitely. That's, that is one thing that I, I recommend to, to both new MSPs that are starting out and, and even established MSPs is pick a vertical and, and become that, that expert and market yourself as that expert and uh, in my days prior to data, I, I spent uh, quite a few years at an MSP and, and we did the same thing, but we, we serviced companies of all sizes and of all verticals. It wasn't until we dug down into our actual client base. Once I started doing the, the data mining and then I figured out, okay, well, we, we do have a lot of law firms. Let's, let's say that we're the best IT provider for law firms. And then we targeted that and we marketed to that. And then we switched it. We said, okay, now let's go after manufacturing. We are the, the number one manufacturing IT provider. And, uh, and that is just how the business exploded for us on, on our side. So you mentioned uh, <laughs> making a lot of mistakes. And uh, that's what I want to hear about because uh, <laughs> I know I've, 
And in my days as an MSP, we made a lot of mistakes as well, and we learned from them. But uh, what are some of the ones that that you experienced that uh, that you changed around to turn it into a positive? Well, there's so many. Where should I begin? <laughs> I, I mean, I guess one of the things about being in business for 24 years now and uh, having having it be a business that I fell into, really, you know, without planning and and having a background that was not business at all and lacking in even the engagement level to formulate the right questions initially, if that makes sense. Was sure. that, you know, I just insisted on hitting my head against the wall as many times and as hard as I could to try to plow my way through things. And I would say some of the mistakes I've made are on, on a, like a macro level, which is like I eschewed structure and um, setting, prioritizing and executing on goals like working in the business all the time and really not finding a way to work on the business. Even after I joined my first peer group in what I think was maybe 2006 or 2007. Um, and so I was a, a, an old member of, of HTG back in the day. And, uh, you know, I really struggled with the execution piece, even as I was committed enough to take a couple of days, a quarter, and go off site. Um, and even after I fired myself as an engineer, which I did now, uh, it's been 19 years or 18 <laughs> years or something. Like I don't do any technical work at Joe Becker sure. because yeah. I really don't have the chops or temperament for it. So, so I would say the biggest one was the biggest mistake I've made. And it's it's been hard to overcome. And I'm going to tell you candidly that I don't believe I've totally overcome it yet is not being methodical enough in my planning process, not taking the time to slow down, breathe, and put pencil to paper, if you will, or keyboard to OneNote, or whatever it is, whatever the tool is, really thinking about where I want to go, and then thinking about how do I get there. And, and I don't think there's any other mistakes that I've made that are bigger than that one or aren't directly influenced by that mistake. I, I mean, you know, case in point, I ran my business for years um, and made business decisions based on bank account balance. Well, anyone who knows anything about business finance will tell you, you can't do that, right? You have to understand about cash flow. And I'm giving myself a C minus on that today in 2020, but I used to be like, I don't know, a D minus or an F minus, F minus. So, <laughs> you know, that is influenced, if you will, by um, avoiding the planning piece. And this is all the personal professional development I've done. I've seen so many great thought leaders and they all plan. They all take time. They, uh, and I was like, no, no, I don't have the time for that. I don't have the time. I got to get in and clean my desk. I've got to get in and answer these emails. I've got to get in and work on that proposal. And, you know, when you, strip it away, Eric. There are times you have to do that stuff. There are times you got to roll up your sleeves and put everything else aside. I know you can't plan right now, but um, the biggest improvement for me 
as relates to that idea has been embracing traction, which we did close to three years ago. And I got challenged by one of my producer club colleagues uh, in Robin Robbins Producers Club, which was, a, I would say, a major step I took about six years ago. And she challenged me because I'd sort of been reading traction and dabbling a little bit. And she said, I want to see your VTO in two weeks. Humana, 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 right? <laughs> I don't have time to write a video. So I, I did it and I worked on it with my team and I think it took three weeks. And we started doing level 10 meetings and we're still self-implementers. But like when my son started, he blew through traction in a day or two days and started critiquing our L10 meetings. And all of a sudden, like we're hitting our to-dos, we're on track for our rocks at a percentage that I've never seen in the time that we've been doing this stuff. And the, and the energy level has lifted up in the business as a result of it. And that is exciting. Definitely. You're, you're hitting some of the, the key points that, that when I'm talking with data partners and just MSPs in general, uh, the, uh, the peer groups, I, I'm pretty passionate about the peer groups. I, I think they're absolutely fascinating. And, just holding each other to to that accountability and and building and growing that business, both with HCG, which is now evolved, and then Robin Robbins, uh, getting involved in something like that is it will uh, improve your business and you're learning from others. That's that's part of what we do here at at Datto when, when we get together at DattoCon. Uh, just MSPs sharing stories, what we're doing right now. Uh, MSPs sharing their stories and the community in general is is very helpful and getting involved with, with some form of peer group and there's a number of them out there, but uh, it, it truly does help. Well, I, can, admit, I can make, I'm sorry, go on. Go ahead, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I can make my pitch now for a peer group that I, I think that is near and dear to Datto's heart, which is MSP Ignite. Yep. Um, which I joined, uh, I don't know, uh, the last DattoCon that I was at, so a year and a half ago whatever that was. And sure. uh, one of my buddies in the industry, MSP in Connecticut, dragged me over to Steve Alexander and said, you got to talk to each other. <laughs> and uh, and despite the fact that I was the only, uh, that I'm the only MSP in my group who is not on Autotask. All right, I admit it, but you know, I've that's, been- That's uh, fine. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> I, I've been a ConnectWise managed user for 13 years as a partner for 13 years. So we're not just jumping, you know, and that's yeah. another thing, know your bandwidth, right? Understand your bandwidth and don't embrace bright, shiny objects without being really, really careful, um, especially for a company with eight people. But the point being, here I am in a group where every other person in that group is using a different tool but the value is tremendous because it's not about the tools at the end of the day. It's mm -hmm. not, I, I mean, and I, I want to be clear, there are tools that stand out. Um, when we looked at a continuity solution, we had uh, embraced a different continuity solution years and years ago, company out of India, you may recall, uh, or maybe, pre, you know, um, <laughs> and then we, I set one of my engineers to uh, talk to you guys. Uh, and this is after I met Rob Ray, who was working tables at conferences then. I just, yep. <laughs> he was trying to get me to take, come on, Michael, take an Alta, right? <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, we took the call and my engineer just came in and his eyes were all bugging out. 
Um, so when I say the tools don't matter, don't get me wrong. Um, there are superior tools out there, but if you're in a, you know, top tier tool, at that point, it doesn't matter whether it's vanilla or chocolate or Coke or Pepsi, there may be like significant uh, benefits to each one, but it's really more about your commitment and what you're going to do to get the most out of the tools you have, the process you have in place, your commitment to your clients, what your core values are, so on and so forth. We had a, a very similar path. Uh, I too was uh, uh, selling and providing a lot of the uh, the company that's no longer around for their their business continuity solutions, and then uh, ended up doing the exact same thing. Um, Talking with some some folks about Datto, and then jumping our, our whole fleet and and jumping over to Datto, um, and uh, and it's all all been well since then. Um, you had uh, had mentioned as far as like processes and and the way that you you plan things out. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice that that I had gotten, and it's it was from my old CEO, is think big and think well past where we're at today. And, and whether you are an MSP that's just starting out and there's one or two of you, think about what are you gonna do when you have that fifth employee, that 10th employee, that 30th employee, how do you get these systems to, to interact with each other? And one of the big mistakes we ended up making at, at our MSP is a lot of the knowledge was inside individuals' heads and not documented, not gathered properly. And, uh, and that was one of the big mistakes we made. So when, when moving forward, it, it was just, that's that piece of advice. Think, think well past where you are now. Think big. What am I going to do if there's 30 employees today? Right. Um, is, it, is it scalable? Yep. Like we'll start to do things and I'll go, that's great. You're solving the problem, but is what we're doing scalable? Will it work when we have double the number of clients that we have or double the number of employees? You know, mm -hmm. if we're adding employees, we need process in place to ensure that, that their experience is positive and we're doing it as um, efficiently as possible. Same when you're, it's no different onboarding clients, onboarding employees. You want them both to have the amazing experience and going to the thinking big, I mean, that's the classic good to great, right? The BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal. And that's talked about in traction as well. And it really forced me to think about where we are, you know, a, a smaller MSP that just broke through the seven figure barrier. And I'm going, you know, I want to get to eight figures. I'm, I'm 57. So I, you know, I need to have a 10 year window. Not that I, I'm going to sell in 10 years or one out in 10 years, but I need something big to shoot for. And I remember I did this as an exercise with my team because uh, all of these exercises, all these parts of building the VTO are sitting down with your leadership team, which in this case were my three engineers. And, and I said like, well, where do you see us? What's the number you think we could get to? And I remember, you know, drawing them up on the board and, you know, this engineer said here and this engineer said here and this engineer said here. And I said, well, what if we tried to do this? And I'm, I'm breaking the screen. I'm looking at myself here. <laughs> and I remember uh, um, one of my engineers looked at me and he said, well, uh, we have to be a completely different kind of company. And I'm like, bingo. And he goes, well, what kind of company would we be? And I said, I don't know. Let's have fun with that. You know, we'll figure that out along the way. But now we've got a 10-year goal. Let's start to chunk it down from there. Um, and we've stuck to that, you know, I, I don't know whether we'll make that or not. It, it almost, I know we'll get further than if we didn't have that goal. 
there's it's impossible sure we we did we did something similar as well we we absolutely we set our goals and and we set them really we set the bar really high and like you said, and then scale back to see, okay, if eventually I want to get to this number, what, what's that first number I have to hit? So I, I start seeing that success. And on the success side of it, one thing that, that we did for company morale and just driving that number was a competition. And what we did, it wasn't an individual competition, but just overall, it was if we hit a certain number, we were taking the company out for a steak dinner and everybody fought for that number. Everybody wanted every engineer, every sales rep. We just wanted to say we hit that number and go out for a nice dinner. And then we did it and it was a huge celebration. And then we reset the number. We went back out and adjusted it. And that was our goal. It was a, a basically a yearly goal where we just changed it and then rewarded ourselves once we did hit it and uh, became a, a lot of fun and, Everybody knew the number within the organization. Everybody knew what they had to do that day to to get us to that number, which which was it was it was awesome to be a part of. A, a lot of fun. It sounds great. Now let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit to growing pipeline and and business. So how are you how are you guys growing? What are you doing to to attract new potential clients? Well. <laughs> this is my Achilles heel. I've always struggled with sales. Um, actually, I, I think I used to be reasonably good at sales. And then I started getting some sales training, which is not a knock on sales training. But what it is, is like, for me, when I started getting involved in sales training, I felt like I had to learn my lines. And this was, you know, kind of a Sandler-esque thing, you know, where I was learning that, that approach. Uh, I had to learn my lines and then I got shoved out on a Broadway stage and I, I felt like, you know, if an objection comes up, like, what is that? That's objection A3. I need to get, you're like, I lost my ability or <laughs> not saying I lost, but I struggled to just be in the moment and understand what the question concern was and address it and move on. I think that was something that I do much better naturally. The other piece is that uh, even working with Robin, um, I, it's really easy when you own a company. I mean, you're the boss, right? So if you want to avoid something and you don't have, if you want to avoid something that's uncomfortable to you and you don't have good plans to begin with, right? Because I wasn't planning. Well, then you don't have to do a lot of selling pipeline. But what, what I concentrated on and something that I am really good at is upsell. So, you know, we average over 11 years across our client base. For So if you total up all our clients, it's an average of one year. You take the top 50%, we're like at 18.7 years. That's a lot of time. And there's a lot of trust that gets built up over that time. And, and as the industry has evolved and we've evolved as a company, they trust us. We say you need this they they take it because they know we want to protect them and and their data and their and their business so if whether it's you know adding continuity back in the day or or uh, managed you know networking devices or the, all the amazingly um powerful and critical tools in the in the cybersecurity space 
they know they need that. So the, the numbers that I've tracked over the years are, you know, what's our average um, contract per client or monthly recurring revenue average per client. And that number in the past um, three or four years has more than doubled. So I'm really good at that. I've never been great at pipeline, but as I said, we just hired our eighth employee and she's a marketing manager who is embracing the stuff that we use with, with Robin Robbins technology marketing toolkit. And um, we do a lot of the soft things we do, you know, weekly cybersecurity tip blasts. We do uh, newsletters, um, you know, postcards. We're doing some direct, uh, direct mailing pieces. And believe it or not, 24 years in, we just bought our first list. I know that crazy, but we just <laughs> bought our first list and we're, we're starting to focus now on nonprofits. We do, we still have a number of law firms. We have a number of nonprofits. Uh, we have a little bit of retail. We have some in the hospitality slash country club space and the clients, we love all our clients. I need to say that in case any of them want or end up watching this, right? We love you all, <laughs> but it's really cool when you can get down with the mission. Of, of what they're trying to do. And, and let's face it, if you're trying to sell widgets, that's awesome. Be the best widget seller you can. But if you're providing free legal services for senior citizens in need or advocacy work for senior citizens, who doesn't that resonate with, right? Uh, you just wanna, you wanna help them any way that you can. And we're in a, a fertile area for nonprofits. So we're really working, we're trying to develop that, that vertical, that niche, if you will. And my marketing manager is someone I've known for a few years, and I feel very fortunate to have, to have been able to bring her in, is um, really on board with building that out. And the metrics that she's being held accountable to are metrics that it will be impossible not to grow. I mean, that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. However, we may need to have a follow-up conversation conversation in a year where I can give you more concrete numbers. So I'm just being candid with you. <laughs> sure. Uh, retention, retention has been the key for us. So when you, when you targeted the, the nonprofits, was that, was that a, a thought out intentional plan or was that reviewing and saying we, we have a couple nonprofits, maybe this is something we should look into. How did you, how did you land on nonprofits? Um, that's a good question, Eric. I, First of all, the first nonprofits were, of course, like everything else in the business, you, you know, I fell into them. Mm -hmm. um, when I went back to work for the law firm, it was kind of funny, the, um, the um, CIO at the law firm brought me back because he loved consultants. He loved hiring a bunch of consultants. And I was back in there for no more than a month when he said, come on, you're coming with me tonight. We got this cocktail thing. Uh, it was some ALA event for nonprofits, law firms donating equipment. Um, and I met the executive director that night of the uh, uh, organization I was telling you about that does free legal services for senior okay. citizens in need, their uh, senior law center. And uh, boy, we really clicked. And you know, I remember getting on the train to go home and you know, I opened up my nine pound laptop, right? <laughs> and I wrote, I had Comic Sans was my really creative font, you know, and I had, a, you know, like a little cartoony guy at a computer as my logo. I was really bad. But, um, <laughs> and I wrote a letter, like, I mean, this is what you did back then. Like I wrote the letter on the train that night and something uh, uh, 
worked for her with that, you know, that, that this was the kind of company she wanted to work with. And I have found it very rewarding um, because at the end of the day, if you can get behind the mission, you can, uh, you can tolerate, you know, lower profit margins for some clients. And don't get me wrong, our nonprofit clients are spending. They're absolutely spending, especially now because they see the value. But we added slowly and we added across a variety. I mean, we have cultural nonprofits, religious nonprofits, and of course, service nonprofits. And when I started doing some exercises to think about what our ideal target market was, the one that kept resonating with me was nonprofits the most. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to work with, uh, you know, a law firm. I, I think we do great work for law firms. I'm not going to, if someone, if they reach out to us, we're here for them. But I, uh, I really believe that uh, that's a vertical worth focusing on. So the short answer that I've made very long, like every answer, <laughs> is that I, um, I actually did put some thought into it. And again, working, working, you know, with our marketing consultant, with, with Technology Marketing Toolkit, they had exercises on where you focus on your target market. Sure. And, and that forces you to think about what it is you want and how does it align with your core values and how you see yourself and who you see yourself as a, as a person. Now, you also mentioned you recently purchased a list for the first time. Um, tell us about that. I, I have mixed feelings about purchasing lists and, uh, and I'll share my thoughts after that. But uh, first, if you recently purchased a list and you've been in business for over 20 years, uh, how, how did you do it before? It's all word of mouth referrals, asking for referrals. Okay. And then some of the soft marketing pieces that we've done um, again, over the past few years, which include like new newsletters, email blasts, social media. I, I've done a fair amount of public speaking now. I've been on TV a few times. These are things that make the phone ring and emails come in a little more often. Sure. Um, uh, but it's not a standalone strategy, in my opinion. So it was all word of mouth, networking groups. I was president of a BNI group for a couple of years. Oh, nice. Yep. So on and so forth. And, you know, you did what you did. Um, but purchasing the list to me is a way of all I'm trying to do with it, Eric, is I'm looking at it as an exercise in getting an engine started. Sure. So I'm not really, you know, we, we need eight clients out of this list. I like, we might not get any clients out of this list, but having a full-time marketing manager and my assistant who does a fair amount of marketing assistant work, right? we'll be able to get the engine going. And then we can adapt and adjust as needed and, and look at different strategies that, that will work for us, whether this one does or doesn't. What's your take on lists? <laughs> my, my take is, is a couple of different viewpoints. I, I myself have purchased lists several times in the past and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with purchasing a list. It, it builds up your database and it, it, it gives you people to reach out to. Uh, my, the only downside that I saw of purchasing a list is I got the, even though I put in what I didn't want and with using the SIC codes and, and telling them, okay, I don't want restaurants because uh, restaurants and any kind of hospitality, really, um, they just weren't our target market. But 
I was getting them anyway, because my only real target market was an organization with between 20 and 150 users on the network. And my lists, when no matter what I did, when I purchased them, I was getting every fast food restaurant in town (laughs) and mining that data, going through that. uh, It did take a lot of time. We did turn the list. We we were positive from it. We, We turned a significant number into clients. So I, I am a fan of, of any kind of list and, and keeping your 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 outreach pretty broad. But what we found more success in rather than a list was creating our own list. So what I implemented for the sales team was every sales call you go on, and this was when we could go out to actually in live in-person meetings, but if you're in a, an office building or in an office park, take a picture of the lobby wall if you can, and they'll try to prevent you, but uh, take a picture of the lobby wall or just jot down a couple of the names in there. If you're in an office park, just drive around the block and, and jot down the names of who's in that park. And then what we would do is we would dedicate some of our day to going to Google, going to LinkedIn, going to any number of, of resources and just finding out who these companies were. Then we took it a step further and said, every meeting that I have in an office building I know who else is in that office building. I'm cold calling all of those companies saying next week, Wednesday, I'm meeting with John from Acme company upstairs. Can I stop by and say hello? That's how I got our foot in the door a lot. And through building your own list and then saturating an area, if if I had an appointment, let me make the most of my day and and try to try to get as many appointments in that neighborhood or that office building as, as I could. You brought up a good point there. Our list is uh, is not so narrow. We we certainly have purchased the list, but we've been working an internal list for a good amount of time now. So we have a pretty large list that we do for our blasts and so on and so forth. But we also have a um, a target list that's outside of the nonprofit realm. Uh, in fact, we have country clubs on that because we do have uh, some country clubs that we service, and we are constantly refining that list and using them in some direct mailing pieces as well. And, you know, that's just a process that takes time, but the, the point you're making about canvassing and uh, taking pictures of the signs and we've done some of that, but I would say that where we've struggled it goes to execution is that we're dabblers and we need to become more consistent on that front. That's that's an excellent point too. Is uh, we can find any number of reasons to not do the 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 first level sales activities, the cold calling, the you know sourcing out who who these people are, doing the research. There's a ton of other tasks we could do without our throughout our day. Uh, it comes down to setting setting aside time. That's that's another piece of advice I give to to MSPs is just set your day and, and set a schedule of, okay, here's here's my hour and a half a day. I have to prospect. I have to keep my funnel full. Here's the hour I'm focused on uh, business operations and making sure that the processes are running smoothly. And once you get into that groove, it it, it certainly helps. So I think we're, we're coming up to our time and I, and I want to give you a chance to share a a last bit of advice. What do you have as advice for a small MSP that's just getting their feet wet right now? What what are some of the things that that they could be doing? 
Um, all right, I'll, I'll give you a couple. One is really start out and carve time out for personal and professional development. Always be looking for ways to grow and improve your mindset because if you're open to that, you're going to get amazing nuggets that will, once they're on your reticular system, things can start to happen. Um, and for some people that's easier than others. I happen to love personal and professional development, maybe too much so at times, but um, I think uh, after 20 some odd years, some of these things are finally starting to stick. Um, if you can get a mentor or mentors or coaches, the, the great sales coach, Jack Daly, um, I heard him speak once. I mean, this guy is the pinnacle of sales success, right? And he announced from the stage that he has seven coaches that he works with. Seven coaches. This guy's already at the top. You know, <laughs> now I don't know. Maybe one of them is a sports physiologist. Maybe one of them is a nutritional coach. The point is he's trying to he's trying to operate at a peak level. So he's embracing that. Now, we don't all have money to hire expensive coaches, but you don't have to spend a lot of money. I I have an accountability uh, coach and I work with her five days a week, two to five minute phone call. I lay out the things that I'm going to work on. I'm accountable for what I said I was going to do. We've evolved how we're doing it. We started pretty much at the beginning of COVID and I'm hitting the marks because and, and it's very affordable is the point. I mean, this is not somebody that I'm paying thousands of dollars a month to or anything like that. Peer groups, we talked about peer groups. Yep. Um, yep. You know, I've been in a couple. I, I, I feel they're invaluable. Uh, the ability to connect with your peers, embracing the channel, things like this, but also getting out there, getting to events and really seeing who is it that you want to partner with and understanding that it's, it shouldn't be based solely on the bright, shiny object. There's a lot of amazing tools out there, but, but if the outbound marketing efforts of that company are um, looking at your uh, email and deciding that they're gonna take your meeting link and uh, having the hubris to schedule an appointment with you that you didn't request, if that's, if that's <laughs> their outbound marketing, is that really someone you wanna work with? Whereas, right. you know, Data, when of course you do great outbound marketing, of course, that's an important component, but there's a lot of attraction work going on there. There's a lot of relationship building going on there because uh, you folks have always been about the long game, the big picture. And as someone who, are, as someone who has those same values, well, that just totally resonates with me. Um, and one that I think about a lot and it's kind of a newer one for me is um, is a little something I'm playing with called embracing your wrongness. And Ooh, um, okay. if you'll humor me, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about this. So, sure. you know, my family is from uh, Eastern Europe and Russia. Uh, and when I was a little boy, I went out to California. I was like seven or something like that. And with my mom, where we had a lot of family, we had a lot of family in the San Fernando Valley area. And we met my Tanta Elke, you know, my mom's um, great aunt, I believe. Yes, my mom's great aunt and my great great aunt. I mean, she was like older than dirt, you know, when I was a little boy. And somehow I took away from the conversation that my family was from Georgia, not the state, but 
you know, in Russia, pre-Soviet Union. And I was seven and, you know, I was like 52 out to dinner with my mom and a couple of cousins and my son. And I said something about being from Georgia, which I had said many times, oh, you know, my, we're from this part of Eastern Europe, we're from Georgia. And, you know, my mom looked at me like I had two heads. She said, we're not from Georgia. We're from the Ukraine, which is, you know, I'm not great on my geography, but it's, you know, we're from the Ukraine, it's not Georgia. And I'm like, no, 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 you're wrong. You're wrong, we're from, we're from Georgia. So now I'm telling my mom, that she's wrong, which is not a smart thing, by the way. But beyond that, it, they convinced me that day. And the reason I, I tell that as part of the story is because it's actually really important. I had something come up in the business recently, and it was a few months back. And I'm going to be honest, I don't remember the particulars, but they're not that important. What it was, was I was 100% sure I was right, completely sure that, you know, the answer is A. And I remember just taking, I was walking my dog thinking about it going, well, you know, I was wrong on that Georgia thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I seriously, that thought entered my head and I thought, why don't I just look at this from another perspective? Why don't I embrace the fact that maybe I'm wrong on this and maybe the answer is B. And by going down that path, we found a solution to the problem and it wasn't my path, it was the other path. And so that got me thinking that sometimes the answer or one of the answers is to embrace your wrongness, embrace the fact that you can be wrong and that understanding that you can be wrong can help you find solutions, find answers to business problems, life problems, whatever it might be. That so that's, is that's my big wisdom for the day. Yeah, that is that is fantastic. I I love that. Um, well, Michael, this has been absolutely valuable. I love this. Uh, I I hope someday we can do it again, and hopefully we can do this again live in person next to each uh, other at an event. Absolutely, I look forward to it and having some of that Blanton's yabba yeah. behind you. We'll do. <laughs> Or maybe uh, pappies, whatever, you know. <laughs> I, got, I got some of that too. I've got some of that really? too. Um, cool. Well, thank you for your time. It, this has been a tremendous value for, for those that are listening in. And thank you all for, for listening into this episode. Uh, I hope you found as much value in, in Michael's insights as, as I did. Uh, I do want to give a quick plug to uh, one of the latest things that Datto has, has, has launched uh, actually this week. It is the our annual global state of the ransomware report. Uh, that is a, a survey of over a thousand MSPs, Datto partners, all about what they're seeing out there as far as ransomware and cybersecurity and and just the 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 influx of of risks that are out there. So take a look at that report and use that report in some of your your prospecting and your sales talks and it's full of a ton of of info. Uh, So check that out. It's on the data website. And once again, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a blast. Thanks, Eric. I really appreciate the time. All right. Take care. I'll see you soon, friend. See ya. Hey, everyone. It's Rob. If you found value in this podcast, don't forget to subscribe in the streaming platform of your choice and reach out to us via email at stateofthechannel@dato.com with any feedback or questions you have. Your ideas are always appreciated. Our blog is another great place to learn about Dato and what's happening in the channel. So go check it out at dato.com slash blog. 
Thanks for listening and have a great day.